Good morning. As we continue to worship our awesome God, if you have your Bibles, please open them to John. And we're still in John chapter 1. My name is uh, Pastor Nate. I'm one of the pastors here. So if you're visiting with us, welcome. Um, It'd be great to be able to meet you if you are visiting, if you want to stick around for a little bit. I know some people aren't happy about it, but isn't it beautiful? (laughs) It's great. It's beautiful. Every season just shows how great our God is and brings, uh, should bring us to worship. (laughs) Even for me, some people don't like the snow. It would be summer for me when it's like 50 degrees and 100% humid X. It's not my cup of tea, but God should be praised and glorified even in that. Let me, uh, if you have your Bibles, let's open them up here. John chapter 1 says this, verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father God, we just thank you for this chance we have to continue to worship you, to open up your word and to see how you have revealed yourself to us through your word. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to what you have to say through your word. And God, we pray that you indeed are glorified as we do continue to worship you. And God, there is no possible way that I could do this on my own. So by your spirit, Lord, I pray that you give me what is needed to preach your word with clarity. Lord, I pray that you would use your word to to call people to yourself and to bring people joy. May you be glorified and honored. And amen. As I was thinking about this passage, it's a great passage, and actually I was thinking about this not too long ago, that maybe we should try and start memorizing some scripture together, Uh, and that's something to think, I'm going to plant that thought in your mind. Um, I, I grew up doing those things, but here's a great passage that we can memorize together is verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I grew up in a program called Awana, and that was one of them. A great program of just helping our children to memorize Scripture, which is great because I'm standing here still remembering those things. But as you think back to your childhood or maybe as a parent, you can think about those times when uh, group projects came up in school. They were always a great time for me because you got to share the workload Although I was probably the bad guy in the group that was probably slacking off all the time. So by God's grace, I'm here. But we, I I was very thankful for them. Oftentimes it was great just being able to work with people and having a lot of fun. But there was always that one person that worked harder than everybody else, right? It wasn't me. Uh, But there was always this one person that would always work harder than everybody else. And I couldn't imagine being that individual because how often would they stand up before the class and oftentimes they're either, either the one giving the actual presentation or writing the paper and they would never get credit for it. 
It was like they were unknown this whole time. And I just couldn't imagine that. And as we look in verses 9 to 11, we see this unknown Jesus. Unknown Jesus. In verses 9, Jesus is the light that came into to be the light for everyone. We briefly talked about this last week. As we talked about that last week, we mentioned that Jesus comes to give light to everyone. But we also realize that there's two reactions to when light is shone into the darkness. Either we run to the light or we run away from the light. He was the light that was giving knowledge, either inwardly or outwardly, of who he was. He exposed our sin. And most people don't like that. In verse 10, Jesus is the light that was unknown by his own creation, which is a crazy thought for me. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And when we look at verse 10, we have to interpret world as humanity. He's not talking about creation. He's talking about humanity. So even though Jesus is the one whom we saw right at the beginning of John 1, chapter 1, created all things, including you and me, we are made in the image of God, which is an amazing thing. He steps into his world to be amongst his people, and his people did not even know him. He was unknown. Even though Jesus was in the world, he came to dwell among his people. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And as God with us, as one who steps down from his throne to, to, to be born of the Virgin Mary, to be born as a, as a human, to grow up and to later die in our place, to be our propitiation, to absorb the wrath of God upon himself, as that word means. The world did not know him. The people did not know him. They did not know him at all. They... They, they belong to him. Humanity belongs to him because he created them. And even though he created them, humanity rejects him. But what you see is that even humanity is fallen and in darkness. And humanity, you and me, are still objects of the love of God because he still came into this world. Like, think about this. The true light which gives light to everyone was, co was coming into the world in verse 9. Verse 10, he was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him, yet he still came. Even though we were so estranged from him, we were still, God's love is still shown by the fact that he still comes. The people are morally responsible to, to the word because the word made him, yet we see that humanity rejects the one who created them, but we also see how the word of God loves us by coming into this world. The world has turned away from God to deceit and delusion. So you have to ask yourself this question, is why does the world not know Jesus? If, if the world was created by Jesus, if humanity was created by Jesus, why does the world not recognize who he is? That was my question. I think two things come to this. We see first off that the world isn't a stranger to Jesus. The world is estranged from Jesus. 
We see this in Mark chapter 4, verses 34 to 41, but specifically in verse 31, and he, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and, 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 the, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. See, the fact that humanity doesn't also recognize them, recognize him, even though he was created by them, tells us that it is because of our sin we are dead creation obeys and recognizes his their creator yet we as humanity come and we reject him we are estranged and that is because of the sin that is in our hearts in our lives we are spiritually dead but the second point is this why why does the world not know jesus not only are we estranged but quite simply put the world humanity doesn't want to be doesn't want to recognize Jesus Christ. It's a moral reason for not knowing Jesus. The world did not recognize God's Son because it just simply does not want to. The world instead loves sin. And Jesus is the threat to that sin. We see this in John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. If you really want to learn something about the world around you, if you really want to see something about the people around you, watch how they reject Jesus. You know, uh, Joelle was, we've entered into this news. I haven't asked her about this, so she's going to have to forgive me. Uh, she, she, we've entered into this new stage of life where our kids or our eldest can now go to the mall, uh, which is weird for me but she was at the mall with her friends the other day and an evangelist came up to her and her friends and asked a simple question do you know jesus it was a great question but what was interesting was the outcome of of joel watching him go table to table and asking that same question and watching people reject him over and over and over again Quite simply, the world does not know Jesus because they don't want to. If you really want to learn something about the world around you, watch how they reject Jesus. But think about it for you and your spiritual deadness. If nature responds to the very Jesus, don't. See, I have an interest. I, uh, let's talk about this for a second. We can talk about my interest of sports and technology. I don't care about sports. I hate to break it to you. Like, I, I know and I keep track of things simply for the conversation's sake, but I don't know anything. I, don't, I really don't. If someone comes up to me and says, so-and-so got traded to such-and-such such a team, I'm like, oh, that's great. Yeah. Smile and nod. Yeah, that's great. It doesn't really get me. But I am a geek. I am a bit of a geek. So someone comes up to me and says, hey, did you check out the news release for Apple's new chip? Their new M1 chip? I'm like, yes, I did. Let's talk about that for a bit. I could talk about tech or something else like that. My interest shows the world isn't interested in Jesus, but the church should be infatuated with him. Look at what we have. Just learned about who Jesus is in these 10 few verses. But when you aren't interested in what Jesus has to offer, you won't take any interest in knowing him at all. And it's not, 
and it is not persuaded to believe in him or motivated to follow where he leads. We just don't care. A lot can be said from watching someone. You know, something that I often ask people when I meet with them one-on-one or even in a group is this, is tell me what God is showing about himself in his word. As you spend time in his word, as you're reading through in your own personal time, what is God, how is God revealing himself to you through his word? Tell me about these things. These are key questions. So two things, you know, why does the world not know? Well, they're estranged from him. They just aren't listening. And second, because of their sin. And the second thing is that they just don't want to. Well, because of their sin. In verse 11, we see that Jesus is the light for everyone who was rejected, who was rejected by some, even though he was rejected by some. He says in verse 11, he came to his own, literally his own property, all of humanity, his people. He came to his own people and his own people rejected him. These verses, this verse is talking about the unbelief of his own people, the Israelites. He came to a people that particularly his, a people where he called out of. You know, something that always interests me about Abraham is that Abraham, in the text it actually says, when God calls Abraham, he was worshiping one of his gods, and one of them spoke. God chose Abraham. He called him out, and he made these promises to him. These are his people, yet his own people reject him. He gave them all these things. He brought them, from the, he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He brought them to the promise, and he gave them the Ten Commandments and the promises, but they didn't believe on him or receive him, but actually rejected and crucified him. This makes the sin of those who did not receive him more sinful and more intense, does it not? See, the true light came into the world to enlighten everyone. Yes, Jesus was not received but rejected. He is still being rejected. It is like the world is trying to crucify him over and over and over again. But it is the glory of the gospel that the light of Christ does not go, it does not go out. The light does not go out, for it is the light of the ever-living Son of God. It doesn't matter how much he's rejected, he still shines bright. He has to because he's the light to the world. John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and never will. You know, for me and for you, oh Christian, as we walk around in this, pla- in this world, sometimes it feels like it's just getting worse, right? History tells us it's not true, but it feels like that. It feels like sometimes the darkness is overcoming the light. But I do believe that the word of God is true. And I do believe that over and over again, many people of the people of God have thought that the light of God has been getting snuffed out. We can read the Old Testament and we can read the very prophets of Jeremiah that we talked about with the kids they're learning right now. You know how often that guy was depressed? Like the whole time. He was always doubting. God, are you going to do something? And God would always say, yeah, just wait. Just wait. So for you and for me, one of the amazing things of the Bible is that I can be known by the one who created all things. The light will never go out. 
So let us shine the light telling people about Jesus, risking our own comfort and reputations, and yes, if needed, our own life. Let us take Christ to those who do not know him, whether around the corner or around the world, despite every kind of opposition, spiritual darkness, moral evil, ingratitude and pride. Let us believe the power that Jesus has to overcome, that Jesus is the one who can overcome our greatest opposition. For though the world does not know him, he will make himself known to many through us so that they will join as a bearers of Christ's light and we, we will together live and walk in that light forever. The greatest thing ever. Like one of my greatest joys of being a pastor is watching God call people to himself and not just leaving them there but also maturing them in him. What you need to get here in these first few verses is that if you will not know Christ, then Christ will not know you. Jesus warns us on 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. There's going to be a lot of people who are standing before the throne of God at the end of times and going, I didn't know. And Jesus is just going to quote what he already said. So for you and me, one of the amazing things of the Bible is that I can be known by the one who created all things. And I can be known by the one who by his word created all things. I can be a known child of God. As verse 12 and 13 says. As the verses continue on, it says this in verse 12, But to all, but to all, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But, you've heard me speak a few times, one of my favorite words in the Bible. Three letters, it's great. Because what do I see here in verses 9 to 11 is that a whole lot of people rejected Jesus Christ. And because of their rejection, because of rejecting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their rights, their only right in this world is hell. But, but, verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the opposite side of what Jesus is doing. Jesus, those who receive authority to become God's children, they were not so by nature. Contrary to what some may say, not all people are children of God. This passage says it right here. It's very clear. Fallen humanity are not God's children by nature. This is the privilege only of those who have faith. And this is a faith that is generated in them by the sovereign act of God. But becoming... But be, become, But by becoming this, we have authorization of Jesus Christ to be his children. This is adoption. And what is adoption? It is a legal transfer from one situation to another. This is why I think adoption is probably one of the greatest Christian acts you can do on this world. As a Christian, if I adopt a child, I'm a a picture, I'm an image of what God has done for me. Steph and I flirted with the idea many, many years ago. And 
we looked at all of these things that we could do. And one of the aspects is that you, you literally, like on a TV, watch kids playing and you pick one, which is heart-wrenching to me. But at the same time, for that child, they weren't just haphazardly had. That child that is adopted was chosen. They were picked. And then they were purposely brought into a family and said, this child is mine. They were transferred from one situation to another. Look, to not receive Jesus is to remain in the situation you were in before. What is your situation outside of Jesus? It's hell. Sin separates us from God. That's, what Jesus, that's why Jesus is our propitiation, as Romans 3, verses 21 to 25 says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many? All. Everybody, I don't care who you are, all people, and are justified by his grace as a, what? A gift, which means you can't work at it. It's a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. What does that mean? To reject Jesus is to accept the full wrath of God. I hope you hear this. For those who are kind of like, I don't know. As you consistently and constantly reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not just rejecting Jesus, you're accepting something. In fact, you're accepting your current status, your current situation, and your current situation is hell. Eternal damnation, eternal separation from God. When you, Christian, receive Jesus, though, you are transferred. You were given the right to be the child of God, not an object of his wrath, but a child of God. Ephesians 2, verses 2 to 6 talks about this. And how do you become a child of God? As, as it says there, and further on, it says, who believe in his name. It is, to, it is the acceptance of Jesus as he was fully shown himself in his word. Again, this is why John writes in, in John chapter 20, verse 31, but these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in him. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. There is So what does this mean to receive him? If you receive Jesus, this is who you are. This is the reason to get up in the morning. This is the reason to sing praises to our God, though they may come through tears. Those songs may come through tears. The songs may come in hard times. But this truth, regardless of my circumstances, is unchanging. Our circumstances don't change the fact of this truth. In Christ, if you have received Christ, you are a child of God. The one who spoke all things into being has also called you his. In the deepest of despair to the highest of joys, you are his. 
Jesus has given you the right to be a child of God. He has done that for you. All you did was receive him, and that faith in believing wasn't even yours. It was a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Come to Jesus doesn't mean life will get better or that all your problems will go away. But it does mean that you will be with Jesus through all of those circumstances. There's a cost to following him, so you need to count it. But anything that costs nothing is not worth having. Can we agree on that? And Jesus is better than anything you can get. The Apostle Paul in the Bible doesn't pray for a change of circumstances, but a change of perspective. So I pray for myself in the midst of suffering. I pray for all of us in the midst of suffering. God, let us see who we are in you. When life gets cloudy, let, me, let us see who I am in you. When it feels like it, it couldn't get any better, let me see who I am in you. So the question after this, have you received Jesus today? Are you resting in him, being the one who can make you right before a holy God? There is, not, there is no amount of helping people cross the street, no amount of food bags that you can hand out to the homeless. There is no amount of any sort of good works that's going to make you right before God. Only he can make you right before him. I do those good things out of what God has done for me. Not do these good things so that I can win favor with God. Resting in him, being the only one who can make you right before a holy God. He gave the right to become children of God. Don't run over this too quickly. Because you've got to think of what a right is, right? In this country, in Canada, we have a wonderful document called the Statutes of Rights and Freedoms. It's a beautiful document. If you're new to this country, you've had to read it, I assume. Or at least know about it. Most of us who grew up. It's like a footnote in our history books. And then in that document, as a citizen of Canada, you have certain rights and freedoms that are guaranteed to you as being a citizen. When God calls you, when he comes and takes your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh that enables you to believe, you have a right guaranteed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been bought. We are his. You are no longer citizens of the world, but citizens of the kingdom of God. You have a right. Not because of something you did, but because Jesus paid that price. Christ died for our sins and he rose again, which is why verse 13 says, it talks about how children of God are those who were born of God. Verse 13 says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So in this passage, John lays out for us all the ways by which people are born into a family naturally. You know, born of flesh, the natural way. Born of the will. It could be a physical adoption, whatever it may be. My parents and my good pedigree. Whatever is those things this is all not able to happen it is only by 
the will of God. This is all the work of God. The successive phases contrast birth from God with humans begetting and emphasize the inability of men and women to reproduce it. Uh, it doesn't matter who your mom and dad is or who, how many times grandma came to church and she sat in that pew over there and, and it doesn't matter. None of that matters. It doesn't matter what your mama or papa did. It's all from God. And what does this mean for you if you are a child of God? I love the song that we sang before the service, before the sermon. The Hebrews 6 verse 19 says, We have this as a sure and steady anchor of our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Christ, as the song says, Christ the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm when the winds have dealt blow through me and my sails have been all but torn. This is the assurance of my salvation. You can have assurance of salvation. Think about what 1 John verses 5 to 11 and 13 says. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son who he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. First John 5. Who is it that has the Son? It is those who have believed in Him, as verse 12 says. If you have Jesus, you have life, not a temporary life, an eternal life. Not something that you can lose. It's forever. God wants us to have assurance of our salvation. We should not live our Christian lives wandering and worrying each day whether or not we are truly saved. That is why the Bible makes the plan of salvation so clear for us. Believe in Jesus Christ. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, as Romans 10 verse 9 says. So let me ask you some questions. Have you repented? Do you believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin and rose again from, the de from death? Do you trust alone for salvation? If you answered these questions with a yes, you are saved. Assurance means freedom from doubts. By taking God's word to heart, you can have no doubt about the reality of your eternal salvation. Jesus himself assures us of those who believed in John 10. I give them eternal life, he says, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Eternal life is just that. It's eternal. There is no one, not even yourself, who can take Jesus, Christ's God-given gift of salvation away from you. This is a source of great joy for me. I pray and I hope it is for you. Instead of doubting, I can have confidence. 
we can have the assurance from Christ's own word that our salvation will never be in question. Our assurance of salvation is based on the perfect and complete salvation God has provided for us through his son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose again. But let me tie this with some tension. To be born of God is to experience the most profound change in your life. Second Peter 1 verse 4 says, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of our sinful desires. By receiving Jesus, you have been given a new spiritual DNA. A new principle, a a new power within. We have new and godly desires and a new perspective on life and eternity. To be born of God is not to have all of our problems solved or all of our sinful tendencies removed, but it is to have the spiritual ability and desire to know God and to worship Him and to do His will. And with this profound change comes a new obligation to live as a true counterculture that trusts and glorifies God. In this country, again, we have our statutes of rights and freedoms. With those rights and freedoms come obligations. Same thing with God's kingdom. There's a French saying that talks about nobility obliges. And the point is that if we enjoy great privileges, and we do, in Christ we do, we have a great responsibility too. This is especially true of God's children. How can a child of God live only for money and pride or pleasure? How can he permit anger to rule his heart? How can a true Christian be unfaithful or live dishonestly? How can one who has been forgiven hold on to a critical spirit towards others? The church has a big problem with this. Jesus clearly says, if you can't forgive, you're not forgiven. In Matthew, because you don't understand the weight of what you have been forgiven of. What I have done against a holy God outweighs anything that someone can do to me. And I do mean anything. We have fellowship with darkness or participate in the shameful sins of the world. Yet we become God's children through faith in Christ alone. To all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. But it is by the lives that we lead that we show what family we belong to. There is no greater distinction than faith in Christ, no higher privilege than to become a child of God, and no more profound change than to be born of God. Now we must live up to our calling by the grace and the power that God gives us to his family, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2. Keep your conduct among Gentiles, what? Honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what, you may ask? It's very simple. As those who are known by Christ, all know it, 
as those who are known by Christ. Let's go out and make him known. Let us declare who God is and what he has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins and he rose again. We are a child of God. Did that not spur us on? When I was younger, I would have thought about this guy in the mall and thought, man, he's crazy. What's he doing? Right? I have a friend of mine who, who, who will go out on the streets and, and preach, literally preach the word of God every, every Friday he used to do it. He actually used to drive all the way to London to do it. And I used to think, man, that guy's nuts. He's being obedient, though, is he not? And I'm not saying that you and I as Christians should go out and preach on the street corner. But if they can preach on the, sh- on the street corner, or if that guy can walk around the food court of the mall during a pandemic and tell people about Jesus, I can surely walk across the street and talk to my neighbor. I have a great and amazing story to tell them. I was lost, but I've been found. Jesus Christ died for my sins. I was estranged from him. Yet through Jesus Christ's blood, he has bought me. I am a child of God. I know I don't get it all right all the time, but I am his. And he is mine. As those who are known by Christ, let's go out and make him known. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for who you are and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would have a burden in our hearts to make you known throughout the world because we know you, because of what you have done for us. Lord, I pray that we would also rest in who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, I pray that we would encourage one another to get into your word and to remind us, each other, of who you are and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ that our identity is no longer found in who we are or what we do, but found in you, because you are our propitiation. Amen. And that's why we're thankful for partners like the the cross currents. But the third way is this, by living out the gospel. The fact is, is that we are, uh, that there are many social issues. And whatever issue is important to you, you are called to a fundamental call to be a witness to the light of the world. You know, Black Lives Matter is an important thing. But at the end of the day, that doesn't bring people to Jesus. Jesus brings people to Jesus. Right? Uh, Starvation is important. Right? People starving is important. But I can give meals all day long, but that doesn't mean that they're going to come to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I need to actually say something as well as relieve the poor and, and, the, and, and those who are starving. Whatever your issue is, whatever the social issue that is on your heart all the time, you are called to a f- fundamentally to be a witness in the light of the world. So use those ways. You got a heart for the poor? Go, do that. Relieve that. If you have a, have, a, have a heart for racial reconciliation, please, go do that. But remind them that they're made in the image of God and that they need Jesus. Whatever that issue is, stand up for justice. Stand up for the things that God stands up. But point to the one who is the light of the world and will one day come and make everything right again.
I praise God when I praise God all the time that someone's salvation isn't dependent upon my witness. My witness comes out of a love and a desire of the one who saved me and a desire for other people to know the Jesus that I know. God uses that witness to call people to himself. You know what? We are disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ, are we not? God has sent us, God has sent you into this world to reflect the light of Jesus Christ. Let us continue to praise him.